All right, we are back with so many things to talk about uh, that uh, sometimes don't know where to begin. One place we probably won't begin was the uh, little blurb in the Sacramento Bee about how pressure cookers are back in style. I must confess that in my ignorance, I, I didn't realize that they had gone out of style. And I shouldn't do this, but I have to quote from the Bee. The once lowly, long forgotten, and much maligned pressure cooker is making a comeback. Makes their pressure cooker sound like a school bully. And speaking of cooking, here's an item that uh, brings me great sorrow. We talked in this program oh, many times, I think, over the past few months. No, I think more like the last few years about quinoa, that uh, popular grain that uh, grows in Bolivia in some arid climates. I remember expressing the opinion here on numerous occasions that since I saw this stuff growing in some marginal areas in Bolivia, it might be a perfect crop for, uh, for California in some areas where... You know, we would not be using so much water, that perennial issue here in the Golden State. So imagine my distress at seeing the headline, quinoa is too popular in Bolivia. Subheadline, overplanting puts ecosystem at risk. Note an article in the AP, the scramble to grow more quinoa is, is prompting Bolivian farmers to abandon traditional land management practices endangering the fragile ecosystem of the arid highlands, according to agronomists. Quinoa currently fetches as much as $3,200 a ton, up nearly threefold from five years ago. A surge fed by foodies making quinoa a hot health food product based on its high content of protein and amino acids and the fact that it's also gluten-free is apparently fueling this problem. Although it's used like a grain, quinoa is actually an edible seed. And the U.S. is currently snapping up 52% of the Bolivian crop. The president of Bolivia, Evo Morales, has gotten involved in this and is chastising farmers for planting in areas where llamas traditionally graze, noting that without the llama dung to fertilize these areas, they may uh, go under. I promise we will continue to follow this story. And in some follow-up on another item we've talked about on this program, the local homeless problem. Piece last week by Cynthia Hubert in the B, referring to a, a gentleman who got dumped off at Loaves and Fishes after being uh, put on a 15-hour bus ride from Las Vegas to Sacramento. According to the piece, this gentleman arrived here in Sacramento with the paperwork that said, discharged to Greyhound bus station by taxi with three days supply of medication. That's from the Southern Nevada Adult Mental Health Services. Guy shows up and hands his paperwork to Loaves and Fishes staffers. Well, apparently it also said, follow up with medical doctor in California. This man was described as suffering from mental illness and being completely confused with no idea why he'd been sent to Sacramento. Well, I can answer that one. It's not in Nevada. Having gone to medical school in Southern California, I can tell you that it was a common practice for... Uh, well, the homeless and the mentally ill in cold states have Greyhound bus tickets purchased for them, say, in Philadelphia, and then they were packed off to California, where they would sometimes barely get across the border before something would go haywire, and they'd wind up in various medical facilities. These states reckoned that it was a lot cheaper just to buy them a ticket on Greyhound than to try and deal with their mental problems. The story's even better, though. The hospital that he <laughs> discharged this guy told him... Uh, that uh, if he gets to Sacramento and needs help, dial 911. Peace notes that Loaves and Fishes personnel and others said they believe Nevada has engaged in a clear-cut case of patient dumping. Gee, do you think? Of course, part of the problem here is that uh, Loaves and Fishes is being 
put out there as a uh, lighthouse in the dark, guiding people out of uh, treacherous seas to come and uh, put down where they will find refuge, food, shelter, etc. Which, which on the one hand is a very admirable idea, but on the other hand has made the local area a repository for the West's, a significant percentage anyway, of the West's mentally ill, alcoholic, and homeless population. And of course, Marcos Bertone and others keep complaining about uh, how we need to revitalize the downtown area. And I would submit that one way to revitalize it might be to do something about the army of homeless individuals which have descended upon it. To which I would add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. In fact, I'm pretty sure in this case it does not represent their viewpoints. But folks, this does warrant a second look. There is a huge price to be paid for these well-intentioned efforts, and we'll continue to talk about them in future programs. And speaking of opinions, let's take a look at what uh, the editorial board of the Sacramento Bee has to say. We do quote from the Bee a lot because it's a great American institution, at least the McClatchy organization is. One of the few that's shown guts, actually, in the past uh, 10 or 15 years, when a lot of other institutions would accept what uh, our government was telling us at face value when they shouldn't have. Let's start with a piece entitled, Ending Federal Funding for Levies as a Reckless Idea. Subheadline, McClintock plan would cost federal taxpayers more over the long run. The editorial board asks, should the federal government end its historic role in helping state and local governments pay for upgrades to flood control levies, including those that are part of federal flood control projects? If Representative Tom McClintock, Republican from Elk Grove, when did this district move to Elk Grove? I thought he was in Northeast California. At any rate, note of the paper, McClintock says it's unfair for people living on high ground to subsidize, quote, those who freely choose to live in floodplains, unquote. He'd require that any federal assistance be in the form of loans as opposed to the current cost-share arrangement involving state, local, and federal funds. Well, I have to admit, McClintock has a point. If you're stupid enough to go live in a floodplain, which we were talking about in the last segment, why should everyone else be responsible for subsidizing your unwise behavior? Now, I know in the case of Natomas, there was all this hocus-pocus about how we had 200-year flood protection, blah, blah, blah which has now been shown to be false. But A, I think a little due diligence is, uh, is in order. And B, at what point do we have to step back and say, well, the rest of the taxpayers of the nation may not want to be burdened by the mishaps of people who keep, who keep building in questionable areas? And yes, I realize when I say that, that people are being bamboozled by real estate speculators and that these speculators seem to have an undue influence over... Um, local fathead politicians, but I think he has a point. How many times have you seen people on the news talking about how, yes, we're here in Inferno Canyon where raging wildfires have again burned out uh, all of the residents uh, from their homes? Sir, do you, do you plan to rebuild? Oh, God, yes. I love it here. I, I wouldn't live anywhere else. I also want to talk about uh, editorial. Same page of the B, by the way. This is back in February 24th. Editorial. Can we burst the balloon of tax havens? 
The odd thing about the editorial was that the Bee found itself surprisingly agreeing with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association and the Libertarian Reason Foundation in their criticism of tax policy. Apparently those groups issued reports citing egregious California tax breaks written to benefit Hollywood, technology, agriculture, timber, commercial airlines, and others. Well, welcome to how the game's played. Remember all that talk about uh, tax reform and how we might get rid of the, uh, the mortgage deduction? That didn't happen. Half the reason this real estate bubble churns away here in America, and in particular in California, is the fact that you can write off your mortgage interest. Are there any other countries in the world that do this? I, I don't think so. It's just gigantic built-in subsidy to speculators. And uh, speaking of real estate speculators, let me take a brief aside into uh, the story about Phil Angelides. In fact, if you're driving out on the highway right now, please be careful if you're on Highway 50 headed west. This correspondent over the past 10 years has noted a, uh, a tremendous swing toward dangerous traffic conditions as people merge to the right in order to go down Highway 99 to Laguna. When land developer Phil Angelides, in cahoots with uh, his godfather, Angelo Sacopoulos, did all this development down there in Laguna, they promised people it would be a green development. We'd have light rail servicing it. And, of course, none of that happened, which is why there's this huge, dangerous traffic jam at about 5 o'clock every day. Angelides and Sacopoulos next want to benefit Sacramento by filling in an area, which you know if you've driven through Business 80. As you pass the E Street exit, and before you get to Exposition, you'll, you'll notice on your right a large field. Angelides would like to develop that area, but he doesn't want to waste his valuable real estate by having to put an exit out of the freeway, so he wants to punch a hole in the railroad berm and route traffic through East Sacramento, an area where, not coincidentally, this correspondent resides. Like one of the two holes they're planning to punch through uh, for traffic routing is about, hmm. 200 yards from this microphone. In my opinion, this is a really bad idea, and a lot of neighbors feel the same way, and we'll probably be bringing some on this program in the future to talk about this. Not because it's the most important issue in the universe, but because it's one I know something about and does serve as an example of some of the worst excesses you see here in California with its perennial real estate bubble dating back to the, I don't know, the 49ers. But back to uh, tax cheats. The Economist issue, February 16th to 22nd, had on the cover the missing $20 trillion, was the title of the piece, subtitled How to Stop Companies and People Dodging Taxes. And it's probably worth a quote from The Economist on this because The Economist is a British business-oriented publication. We're not quoting from The Daily Worker here. Said the editors at The Economist, civilization works only if those who enjoy its benefits are also prepared to pay their share of the costs. People and companies that avoid tax are therefore unpopular at the best of times. So it's not surprising that when government and individuals everywhere are scrimping to pay their bills, attacks are mounting on tax havens and those who use them. In Europe, the anger is focused on big firms. Amazon and Starbucks have faced consumer boycotts by using clever accounting tricks to book profits in tax havens while reducing their bills in the countries where they actually do business. Boy, actually, I wish I had time to read this entire editorial. It's pretty good. Dear listener, do yourself a favor and pull it up online. But to excerpt a little bit further from it, 
The editor's note later, not all these tax havens are in sunny climates. Indeed, not all are technically offshore. Mr. Obama likes to cite Oogland House, a building in the Cayman Islands that is officially home to 18,000 companies. That's the epitome of a rigged system. Note of the magazine, Oogland House is not a patch on Delaware, population 900,000, which is home to 945,000 companies, many of which they say are dodgy shells. This is a great topic. We're going to return to it and and do it justice, I hope, in in the months to come. And um, speaking of slimy California real estate deals, we hope that something comes of this article by Brad Brannon in the Sacramento Bee about the Cordova Hills project, noting that, that vernal pools abound where the county has plans for development. The piece notes that developers need to get federal permits before filling in vernal pools, which I think, unfortunately in reality, is just the way it reads. They have to get federal permits before they do it. Kind of like, you know, I have to get a federal permit before I can go shoot my neighbor. They're freely available, of course, but uh, I will have to get one. All right, let's change gears and talk about underwater real estate. And by that, I don't mean what Natomas is going to look like when the levees break. I mean that Norwegian scientists have taken a look at some islands in the Indian Ocean and concluded the area around Mauritius represents a seamount that's being described as a lost continent. You have some appropriate music for this, Mr. McMillan? The continent of Atlantis was an island which lay before the Great Flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores those beautiful sailors journeyed to the south and the North Americas anyway, this is some interesting geology, even if it falls a bit short of being a lost continent. It's been long known that little chunks of continental masses do tend to get sort of stuck out in the ocean and moved around and slammed back into the continents where they rejoin. My understanding is there's quite a few of these in the western part of North America. Writing for the Navihind Times in India... They were asking the question, was this new microcontinent, which they're calling Mauritia, linked to Goa? Because evidently the geography around Goa is a little bit unique and probably did slam into the Indian subcontinent at some point. And and by the way, not far from Mauritius, uh, off the coast of Kenya, the islands of the Seychelles can be found, and they too are bits of continental landmass, which prompted... Sports Illustrated to film a couple of their swimsuit issues there with some scantily attired models draped on the granite rocks, which are, which are somewhat unusual for um, islands out in the middle of the ocean. If you fly to Hawaii, you're not going to find much granite. In fact, you're not going to find any granite. You're going to find lava made of basalt. Granite's the kind of stuff you find here on, uh, on continental land masses. But, of course, the part that really excites people about this is the idea that uh, this area around Mauritius, which is split off of what was once the southern continent, which fragmented into Africa, Madagascar, India, which drove north and slammed into Asia, Australia, etc., etc. And, by the way, as an aside, this correspondent did get big laughs with a uh, T-shirt he made up about 20 years ago that featured a clenched fist with the motto beneath it saying, Reunite Gondwana land. And uh, no, if you don't get it, I'm not going to explain it. But uh, while it's true that you might be able to stretch the idea of uh, the, the land underneath Reunion and Mauritius, the seamount as being a 
quote, lost continent. It's, well, it's, it's a pretty small continent. And Donovan, notwithstanding, it's got nothing to do with the alleged story of Atlantis. Excuse me, Doug, how do you know that? Because the Atlantis legend has nothing to do with anything that's out there in the Indian Ocean. And you know that how? Because my understanding is that Pliny the Elder and others that were referring to Atlantis described it as being off the pillars of Hercules in the Atlantic, sir. I see. And for the record, there is no lost continent of Atlantis either. Oh. And while we're talking about it, there's no such thing as Lemuria, which scientists, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, invoked to possibly explain the distribution of some of the lemurs, which were found in Madagascar and, uh, and southern Asian regions. They thought there might have, must have been a sunken land bridge that linked these regions. This is long before they figured out matters about continental drift, so it was an interesting idea that um, fell short. Kind of like homeopathy, now that you mention it. But we're not going there today. You know what I got to say? One great thing about doing a radio program is it gives you an opportunity to go online and dig up a copy of the Navhind Times. <laughs> Read the column that's talking about uh, Mauritia. And let's close this segment with one really curious um, science story. A story about our friends, the apes, specifically the chimpanzee. There's some pretty good new research that suggests that at least in some areas, chimpanzees have much better short-term memories than we humans. A couple weeks back at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, a Japanese researcher presented a video showing some pretty stunning abilities that chimpanzees demonstrate. To wit, when the numbers 1 through 9 appeared randomly on a screen and then disappeared, the chimp was able to recall the exact sequence and location of each number. As an aside, one particularly smart chimp had learned numbers 1 through 19 and was able to touch each one in ascending order, a talent which had not been previously shown in chimps. According to descriptions on the web, when this researcher presented the clip of the chimp unfailingly picking out the correct sequence of numbers, uh, the, scientists, the scientists were amazed which prompted the researcher to have to reassure them, don't worry, nobody can do it. Reportedly adding with what was described as an almost mischievous smile, it's impossible for you. Peace in the Huffington Post notes that some, some few humans do have such abilities, but they're typically people with savant syndrome, often accompanied by severe mental disabilities. It is simply beyond the power of ordinary humans. On the other hand, six out of six chimps tested could rapidly remember the location and order of nine digits. How can this be? Well, they speculate that this incredible short-term or working memory helps chimps survive in the wild, where they must often make rapid and complex decisions. Peace notes that working memory is an active form of short-term memory, a mental workspace that allows the brain to juggle multiples, multiple thoughts simultaneously. They note that for chimps, the amazing working memory likely helps them navigate the branches of huge trees to feed. Or perhaps decide what to do when competing groups of animals are threatening one another. And, uh, you know, I, I guess if I was brachiating my way through the forest, uh, swinging from tree to tree, I guess it'd be pretty important to remember what you just did. As opposed to those folks we see in all those clips of people of Walmart, who one has to judge don't necessarily have the same pressing need for short-term memory.
And on that note, I think we need to take a short break. I guess I painted you in a corner with the bumper music for this one, huh? Yes, you did. How about Guitar Zan? You listen to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got more in segment three. Don't go away. He's free as the breeze, he's always at ease He lives in the jungle and hangs by his knees As he swings through the trees without a trapeze In his BBD <laughs> He's got a union card and he's practicing hard To play the guitar, gonna be a big star Yeah, he's gonna go far and carry moonbeams home in a jar He ordered checks, guitar core, COD Makes A and E and he's working on B Dig C and W and R and B and me Chimpanzee agree that one day soon he'll be a celebrity. Get it, get it, get it, get it out, guitar man. He's a guitar man. 